you're here this morning. Uh, Lawrence, would you do me a favor and grab the podium? Uh, we're going to talk today from the book of Amos. And let's just be honest, we probably have not heard a sermon from the book of Amos in many churches. I can't remember if I've ever even preached from the book of Amos. Is anybody here like just like wanting to prove me wrong? Do you hear sermons from the book of Amos all the time? Um, no, right? Most of us don't know about the book of Amos, but we know this phrase. Every, thank you, sir. Everybody say, hate evil and love good. Now, where do we hear that in the Bible? If you don't know, it's going to be in Amos, obviously, but where do we hear it in the New Testament that that's come up? Can anybody tell me? Uh, not Peter. It's another apostle. It starts with a P. Paul, and somebody said the book even, Romans, amen, thank you my brother. So you know, when the apostles preached, they preached from the Old Testament, and so that's where a lot of our one-liners come from, the quotations come from the Old Testament, so that's a famous passage from the book of Amos, so you do know about the book of Amos, it's just most of you only attribute it to Paul in the New Testament, so open up your Bibles with me to Amos chapter 1. And the reason why I have the podium up here today is by God's grace, we're going to go through the whole book. Nine chapters, are you ready? Starting in verse one. Uh, I wish I could read all nine chapters. I have tried those kinds of things before on a Sunday, uh, and they generally last about two hours. That will not be an attempt I will try today by God's grace. But I have just such a fullness uh, of this uh, book in my heart, and I want to preach myself empty today. There's just so much here. I, I thought maybe I could just go from the, the title, you know, hate evil, love good, and kind of bounce around a little bit. And I said, that's just, that's not good enough. That's not going to do justice to this book. So as I was in prayer and seeking the Lord, even to these last moments, I'm always back there praying and worshiping. That's a thin door back there. Amen. I can hear everything and I'm worshiping. I got the live feed up and I'm all excited. And I try to hear from the Lord, like, God, what are the last-minute changes or, you know, big changes you want me to make? And I just felt the Lord say, let's go through the whole book. It'll probably take about half of our normal time, and then the other half will go to application. Are you good with that? So do you want to be in Bible school this morning? Amen. Let's go to Bible school and learn about the book of Amos. Now, before we start to read it, it's good to get a little bit of background knowledge about him. He is a prophet. And he is an important prophet to the uh, Israelites during the time before the Assyrian captivity. So he is a contemporary with Isaiah. Isaiah and Amos really were preparing God's people for the first invasion that they were going to have. If you understand Israel's history, they were technically divided into two kingdoms known as Israel and Judah. And so now today we know them as uh, one nation. Uh, when we say Jews, that comes from Judah or an Israelite. But back then they were known a little bit differently. So if you were talking to a Jew, a Judite, you were talking to the northern tribes. And if you were talking to an Israelite, you were talking to a southern tribe. Does everybody get that? Uh, so that's important to understand. And just make sure that the northern tribe was uh, Judah. Because sometimes I had it backwards, didn't I? Yeah, northern tribe is the Israelites and southern is Judah. Thank you. I got one of the Bible scholars there. Let's give it up for Juan. Getting his master's degree. Don't you think in this church I can ever get away with something that's wrong? I got some good brothers and sisters to help me out. And I don't take it the wrong way either. I really don't. That's why when I moment I went to geography, I, I was like, oh, man, am I all right on that? Because uh, I felt like I was wrong. So the Holy Spirit was there helping me. So what Amos is going to do is prepare the people of God for judgment. 
So it's a very strong judgment book. Everybody say judgment. Now, we hear in our culture, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. And that should do what to us? Scare the hell out of us that God is going to judge us. So this is one of those books where it's of judgment. And so if you said back to Amos, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. He's like, that's the point. That's what I'm trying to tell you. God is going to judge you. So if at any time you're preaching and people say the, that, that to you, you know what they've said to the prophets before, because they actually say it to him, don't judge me here. We'll get to that in a moment. Say right back to them, I am not judging you. This is not my judgment. I am not Judge Joe like Judge Judy. You're not in my court session today. I am here just reading the judgments of God. Now, if you were about ready to face Judge Judy and I knew her, would you want to know her judgments? Would you want to know how she's going to treat the deadbeat dad or how she's going to treat the drunkard who ran into the neighbor's uh, yard or something? You would want to know the judgment so you could be ready. Amen. And so we look to the book of Amos, and it's a book of judgment preparing primarily the northern kingdom, the Israelites, for their judgment to come. They're going to get invaded first by the Assyrians. And then a few hundred years later, the southern tribes of Benjamin and of... Of course not. That just slipped my mind. Benjamin, what are the two northern, uh, two southern tribes? Judah and Benjamin, thank you, will be, uh, I'm just going to be looking for you to help today. Maybe I should have took better notes. First service, you guys are always the experimental group. Is that okay? <laughs> You're the experimental group here. The, the, uh, the, the ten remaining tribes of the north are about ready to get invaded. And this is shocking to them because they feel that they are protected by their city walls, by God being with them, and they're not going to have a judgment. But this judgment's going to come to them. And then by the time, if you follow with the prophets, by the time God is speaking to Judah saying the judgment's coming to you, they still don't even believe it, though they've seen their, their fellow kinsmen judged. And it's sad what pride will do to you. How many know pride will make a fool out of you? How many know pride will have you chase the people of God into a Red Sea that that is being held up by the God that you're chasing, the people you're chasing? That's what pride will do to you. Well, there's a Red Sea that's being held up by the God who's already destroyed my nation. What should I do? I'm going to run into that. That's what pride will have you do. That's what pri pride will make a fool out of you. And it's the same thing here. You would think warning after warning after warning, they would change, but they don't. But what you'll see is even in the judgment passages, God is being kind to them. God even speaks to them that he'll relent, even possibly right now, he'll relent from judging them. But obviously God knows the future, and he says, therefore, if judgment comes, I'll restore you. And the book ends on a good note, but they still have to go through the judgment. Let's go to Amos chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll go from there. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekiah, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, was, uh, Jeroboam son of Joash, was king of Israel. Now, if you remember, that's a, a famous king. Uh, when he died, Isaiah sees the Lord. In the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So what's cool, that's Isaiah 6. What is good for Bible students, let me encourage you with this as a new year is coming up. If you've never done the year Bible chronologically, I would encourage you to do it. It's very uh, interesting to see how many things line up together. So oftentimes we go book by book and they're a little bit out of order. In a way, just to see it in the Old Testament, and this is the Jews, um, the way that they have their canon organized, ends with Second Chronicles. And though Malachi 
Malachi is our last prophet. It's right at the end of 2 Chronicles. And so what's amazing is if you read the, the Bible in chronological order, whenever you would read about a king, the, the, uh, the way it's ordered, you would stop and then you would read about the prophet speaking to that king. Everybody go, ah. See, that would help you like check in because when you're reading Kings and Chronicles, you're like, what in the world is going on? This king's getting rebuked by this prophet. But it's cool when it's actually like in Chronicles or Kings. And they kind of like, First uh, Kings is similar to First Chronicles. It's just writing in a little bit different of a way to understand what's going on. But they're very similar. But it's cool when you're like, King Uzziah is alive. He's doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like Isaiah's prophesying this. And then it will give you the portions of Isaiah that are at this times of, of Uzziah's life. And then obviously he dies and then there's other things that come about. But right here, it's when Uzziah is king. So this is before Isaiah 6, if you're thinking chronological. And here here it is, verse 2, what the summary of this vision is going to be. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Mount Carmel withers. God is starting right there going, this is not going to be good for you guys. I am roaring, I am thundering from the city, and I am coming to dry up your prosperity and your blessings. That's a scary thing, isn't it? If God says the show is over, that's, a, that's not a good thing. That is a bad thing. And what we're dealing with right now, and I don't want to jump ahead to the application too much because I want us to understand what he was saying here, uh, God through the prophet, but we do have to understand there's a time when God raises his voice at us. And that all yelling is not sin, okay? And from the Italian side of me, I'm thankful for that. Otherwise, I would be in sin a lot. Can anybody relate to me? If yelling was a sin, I would be in sin a lot. But I thank God that there are times to yell. Now, the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath and that it's not the anger of man that brings about the righteousness of God. But there is a time to shout aloud and spare not. And we get that from our God. As a matter of fact, all of our emotions come from our God. And if they're regulated by the Spirit, they can be godly. Godly anger, godly yelling. You know, so if you ever, uh, uh, you know, you ever are yelling a little bit, you can just ask yourself, is this godly yelling or ungodly yelling? If you're being yelled at, you can ask your spouse or your parent or someone, you know, is that godly yelling or ungodly yelling? It's something to think about, right? But, but we can be passionate because God is passionate. Now, look at what he begins to really roar about as a lion. What is he roaring about? Judgment. Now, right here, I love that we can see this as true Trinitarians and get some misconceptions out of our mind. The first misconception that I want to get out of our minds is that Jesus is a nicer version of the God of the Old Testament. That, just get rid of that. That is bad theology. First of all, the Father is love, Jesus is love, the Holy Spirit is love, because God in his nature is love, and he's, he's love as the Father, he's love as the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They share the same nature, and yet they're three distinct persons. So they're all loving, but they're also all judging. They're also loving, they're also judging, they're all holy. And what we oftentimes see is just Jesus coming into the manger as a baby as his start. Like that's where he starts, old gentle Jesus. Jesus is here in the time of the prophets speaking to the prophets. This is what the Lord says. Who do you think the Lord is in the person of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Who is that person in the Trinity speaking? It is Jesus It is Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. That has never changed. Jesus is speaking to the prophets. Now, 
Would you like to see that? Let me just show that to you. Go to Exodus chapter 33, because some of you are new, and it's good to learn, and others, it's always good to have review. Amen? So whether you're new or we need review, let me just show you that I know it's Jesus. I could do it in Isaiah 6, but I'm going to do it in Exodus 33. In Exodus chapter 33, uh, go down, I believe it's going to be around, um, yeah, let's say verse 9-ish. It's when he meets with uh, Moses face-to-face. Look at verse 11. We'll start there in verse 11, Exodus 33. The Lord, this is Yahweh, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by that official name, Yohevahe, you can, you can see in the Hebrew that that's the name of God, okay? The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a what? A friend. So the Lord would speak to Moses, how? Face to face. Okay, now go on down a little bit. Let's go on down to, I believe it's going to be close to 30. It's going to be down a little bit further. Oh, I'll tell you what, right there, verse 20 rather. Now, Moses says, God, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And then now look at what God says to him in verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So now how is it in verse 11, the Lord says that I talked to Moses face to face. But now right here, God is saying to him, you can't see my face. Now go to John chapter 1, verse 18. How many like it when the Bible confirms itself? Amen. You got to work the word. Amen. Work it and it will work for you. Amen. Look at John chapter 1, verse 18. And I can do this all throughout the Bible. Like I said, I can even do this in Isaiah. John says, and I'll just let you know it so you can look it up on your own time. In the gospel of John, It says that Jesus was the one Isaiah saw when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. John says that about Isaiah to teach us that it's always been Jesus that's been appearing. Do you remember when Jesus was talking with the Jews and he's upset with them? And it's not like he slips it out because he knows what he's doing. But it's almost like he nonchalantly brings it up. He's like, guys, Abraham, your father was never like this with me. Do you notice when he did that with them? Okay, mark this now. I got to go to John as well. You know what I'm talking about. He goes, your father Abraham rejoiced when he saw me. And then they go, what? Man, you only 30 years old. How in the world were you around with Abraham? And then what does he say? He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am is the name of God. Yohevahe, ego amai in Greek, Right? So isn't that beautiful? He just blew their minds, and they didn't even understand that they were talking to the one that had talked to Abraham. The only difference is Jesus had not flesh yet, but he could appear with flesh. Angels don't have flesh, but can appear with flesh, okay? You can see that in Genesis 18. The Lord appears to Abraham with flesh. That's the thing that the time that, that Jesus is talking about with the Jews. He appears with flesh and two angels with flesh, and they eat and they enjoy the meal. Then the two angels go off to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the Lord, Jesus, stays with Abraham face to face, just like he did with Moses, and has a conversation, and Abraham intercedes. And then in Genesis chapter 19, it says, The Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven. So the Lord, Yahweh, on earth, the Son, rains down fire and brimstone from the Lord, the Father, in heaven. And that's there in Genesis 19. And so how do we know those places like in Genesis 19, Isaiah 6? How do we know, like we read in Exodus uh, 33, that it's Jesus? Because it's explained clearly in the New Testament. The, the Trinity is concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself what? 
God and is in closest relationship with who? The Father has made him known. So now go back to uh, Amos chapter 1, verse 3. The first thing that I wanted to dispel here is that Jesus is a God of judgment like his Father, and he's the one giving the judgments to the prophets. So it's not that Jesus is a nicer version of his father. Jesus is the one coming on the white horse with the sword dipped in blood, uh, dropping it like it's hot. When he comes back on the day of Armageddon, over 100 million die, and the blood becomes as high as a horse's head for over 100 miles. That's my Jesus, amen? That's my Jesus. That's not homeboy Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. So I wanted to dispel that. And the second thing is, is oftentimes people say, Well, if Jesus got upset, if Jesus rebuked, if Jesus was treating people, it was always religious people. Jesus never really was like that with other people. And it's like, hold up, you haven't read the Bible. Jesus gets on a whole bunch of people. Now, yes, he has a lot more to say about his own people, the religious people. That is true. But that doesn't mean that he just let everybody else get a free pass. He called the Phoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, a dog. Now, that, that wasn't meant to be a compliment. <laughs> Are you getting that? He's about ready to call some names up here. I'll just skip ahead. He calls the women of this community the cows of Bashan. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a cow of Bashan. That's not what you want to be called. You don't want to be called a cow of Bashan, and you don't want Jesus to call you a dog. The reason why Jesus called the, the Pharaoh Phoenician woman a dog is because her culture was wicked. And they're actually (laughs) mentioned right here. You're going to learn about it right here. So thank you, Holy Ghost, for tying that in. But if you ever wonder why he called her a dog, it it was him treating her according to her nation and what that nation had done to the people of God. And then when she said, okay... I understand that I come from a dog nation. I'm not a sheep of Israel. She got the revelation. She said, oh, but the dogs, they still get crumbs. And that's when my Jesus, somebody say my Jesus. Amen. He said, come on and get your healing for your daughter. Amen. And that's why he loves all the nations. But he has to be honest with them. You're not like Israel. You're a wicked pagan nation. Even though I dealt with them, you're worse, you know. And so he, he, he does use names, he used descriptions, and what you're going to see here, we don't have to go through all the passages, you can read it on your own time, he rebukes Damascus, he rebukes Gaza, Damascus is of the Syrian people, Gaza is of the, the Philistines, he then goes on in, in, uh, here in verse, in verse 9 to rebuke Tyre, the, the Phoenicians, he then rebukes Edom, those are the descendants of Esau. And then in verse 13, he rebukes Ammon, the Ammonites, and then the Moabites. All of those people are non-Israelites. And then he saves the best for last in verse uh, uh, chapter 4 of verse 2, chapter 2 of verse 4, he goes, the sins of Judah, and then in in, uh, verse 6, the sins of Israel. Does everybody see that? All of these people groups are getting rebuked. Did I lose you, my brother? Okay, good. Just want to make sure you guys see Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, and Israel all being judged. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got something for you. If you act up, <laughs> he's going to find you. You will not hide. You, if you're a Moabite, he's going to get you. If you're an Ammonite, he's going to get you. You're a Philistine, you think it's over after a glide? No, it's not over. He's still going to come get you. Tyre, he's going to come get you. Edom, he's not done with you yet. 
And then, once again, if you think to yourself, well, we're just God's people. We're Judah. We're Israel. No, he's not done with you yet. Each one of these nations, he comes out with a poetic rebuke. Think about that. In a poetic manner, he rebukes them. You can see it starting once again in chapter 1 of verse 3 with Damascus. The Lord says, for three sins of Damascus, even four I will not relent. So he says, for three, even four. And then he names off their sins. That's how he starts each one of these rebukes. What does this sound like if you think about Jesus dealing with people in a certain way in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, Jesus dealing with what? The churches, the seven churches, right? So this is how Jesus has always been. This is not a different Jesus. Let me just count them right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So it doesn't correlate to seven, all the numerology people. Anybody like numbers and things like that? Okay, we'll count it up. Jesus is rebuking nations. Jesus is telling them what they have done wrong and why they are going to be judged. So destruction to these people, as you can even just see here with Damascus, I will send fire on the house of Hazel that will consume the fortress of Ben-Hadad. I will break down their gates. I will destroy the king. There is reason for God's judgment. So before we go on, I just want to dispel the last thing here. Number one, just in review, it's the same Jesus, okay? It's the same Jesus. Number two, he doesn't just rebuke his own people. He's got something to say about everybody. And then number three, he is justified in his judgment, so often we think to ourselves, we don't deserve this. Like if Biden becomes our president, we'll say, well, we don't deserve this. You're like, yeah, we do. We do deserve a president that will use and abuse us because we have chosen that kind of wicked path over and over again. Even if I think it's been taken and stolen, wrongly done, if that's how it sovereignly works out in the end, we're getting the very president we as a nation deserve. Are you listening to me? And yes, I don't believe uh, the, you know, the, the coronavirus is as serious as they say it is, but we deserve to be shaken up and be put into fear as a nation because we've walked around so high and mighty all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a shame, but it's true that we need to be shook down because we have walked around thinking that we are our own gods, that we are our own source of prosperity. And so now for these people to see death face to face, even though it's only 0.05% of death, you know, it shakes them up and God will use it. And he's justified in using it. He never brings about the evil, but he allows the evil. But here's the good news. He'll turn it for the good for those of us who love him. This is where we have to go back. Please uh, go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, to the, to the first 316 before John 316. You can remember like that. We call this the proto-gospel, the proto-evangelion, if you want to know it there like in Greek. What we see is the gospel is going to remedy the problem of evil, but evil is going to be a part of our world because of the fall. So when any time, any time you see evil in the world and it feels out of place, that is a hint to bring you closer to Jesus because evil was not supposed to be a part of the world. But it's not an evil that is random. Everybody understand this. It is not an evil that is unchecked. It is an evil that God says it can go this far and no more. And I know as Christians we have a problem with that because we are word of faith. We do believe the scriptures. We do speak life. And we do trust God that he's a good God and that every good and perfect gift comes from him. We believe all of that. Amen? 
But we have to understand this is not his gift to us. This is a curse because of our sin. But who is going to bear the curse for us? It is Jesus at the time of the fall. This is what is said to the woman. I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. How many are a little bit upset with Eve because of that? That is true. That is true. I've watched that six times with my wife. Childbearing is not fun. What would it have been before that? We'll never know. We'll never know. But it's painful now. And you're going to give birth in that painful labor. And then your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Up until this time, it was the equal submission. As we see, the, the husband wasn't the head in the sense of the final authority. And I believe this might mess with you, but I believe it was like Superman and Wonder Woman or, one, or Superwoman. I believe that they were both equally as strong. But it's at this point that she became a weaker vessel and that she would become now uh, under her husband's authority. This is what I believe, okay? Now, you can search through the Bible and, and decide how women's bone structure is different than man and on average why a man is strong, but I believe that happened here. And it's a part of a reminder, just like in the pain of childbirth, that sins upon us. And we see here that this is what the woman is going to have done to her. But now let's go to the serpent. Go to verse... Uh, uh, go further down, please. Oh, he starts with the serpent. Go back up. Sorry, verse 15. Go all the way back up. Uh, I think it's 13 or 14. But I want to show you that with the woman. Yeah, 14. But because you've done this, this talking to the serpent, who we know is representative of the devil, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. And how many know most of us hate the snake more than anything? As an animal, see a spider is not a snake, but most of us just all hate snakes. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat with dust. It might have been a lizard at that time, or uh, it's just a reminder that this is now going to be a curse that you're always on your belly all the days of your life. And then notice it in verse 15, I will put an enmity, I will put strife between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What does that mean? That through the birth of the Messiah, Christ coming in the flesh, the epic battle of good versus evil will be solved. The, the physical foot of Jesus will stomp on the devil, but he will strike his physical body, and the physical body of Jesus will suffer. Why do I say all that as we go back to Isaiah? Is because the judgment of God is justified, and the judgment of God fell to Jesus. The judgment of God fell upon Jesus. And so we are not supposed to be receiving the judgment of God. We are supposed to be receiving the blessing of God. And even though Christ had not come during the time of Amos, they were supposed to be looking forward to that in their sacrificial system. But as we'll soon see, they used and abused their sacrifices and didn't take it serious and just wanted to keep doing whatever they wanted to do. And so it became worthless to them and thus worthless to God because they weren't putting their heart into it, because they weren't putting faith to it. The sacrifices meant nothing to God. And what we have to understand is that God is then justified to judge them. They were not covered by the blood. Does everybody remember the death angel coming that struck them down? The, the, the Egyptians during that time of the passing over, the, the angel passed over the righteous house because they had the blood. Somebody say covered in the blood. Amen. Before Kanye West ever came up with that song, Covered in the Blood, you know which rap song I'm talking about. This, this was already a biblical principle covered by the blood. And you know what that death angel, who that death angel was? It was Jesus. It was the angel that followed them that God said, I put my name in. Do not speak against him because he will not forgive you. He will strike you down. 
He was Jesus among them. The cloud of glory was the Holy Spirit, and the Father was speaking from the cloud. Moses could not see the Father, the one speaking to him from the cloud, but he could see that angel. An angel just means messenger. It doesn't mean a winged creature. Those are seraphim and cherubim. Messenger, malach, is just a, a, a visitor coming from heaven. And we see that that was Jesus. And so it's Jesus here that's going to judge. Just like he judged the Egyptians, just like he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus is going to judge these nations. But this time, how is he going to do it? He's going to use another nation happened to be the Assyrians, and he's going to use them to destroy his own people. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Come on, we need the help of the Lord. Those kinds of sins that they were dealing with was the reasons why they were going to get judged. I'll get to ours in just a moment. Go to chapter 2 now, verse 12. He starts to rebuke the people. He says, I've raised up prophets for you. I've given you Nazarites. And Nazarites were the radical ones who would be like Samson and take vows not to even uh, eat or, or drink grape juice or eat grapes. And they wouldn't cut their hair. And uh, we oftentimes think of John the Baptist possibly as a Nazarite. And uh, we, we look to them as like the heroes of the faith. And the, and the Bible says here, chapter 2, verse 12, but you made them Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. This is how bad it got in Israel, is that you told the Nazarites, break your vows. Come on and party with us. They told the prophets, man, stop prophesying. Just entertain us. Can I get to some application right here? I feel Jesus. This is what our generation wants, isn't it? Our generation doesn't want the prophet, doesn't want the Nazarite. I do believe, like, you know, alcohol can be consumed in moderation. I don't think Jesus was drinking grape juice at the wedding, okay? If you believe that, that's okay. But I say if you're going to drink with Jesus, don't get drunk, okay? But here's the point. I appreciate my upbringing and the Pentecostal faith and the others who have been conservative who have abstained from it altogether and just said, I don't want anything to do with it. Because you know what? They're doing that is unto the Lord. Just like I don't think there's a problem watching movies. But if people are like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast movies aside and just give all that time to prayer. Why would we then want to say to those people, oh, you holier than thou. Oh, come and drink with us. Come and watch movies with us. Why would we do that to them? If someone says God has told me to, to be single for a reason and a season, why would we try to push them and say, well, you should date, you should date? If God has told someone to fast and to consecrate themselves, why would we look down on them? The only reason why someone would look down on a person like that is if they're intimidated by their holiness and their dedication to God, and now they want to bring them down. Just like Samson with Delilah. Delilah was jealous. The people were jealous, wanted to bring Samson down, have him break his vows. And then now we're being told here by the prophet that the whole nation wants everybody to break their vows so that they can all feel accepted. That they can all feel the, like they're the same in their sin. And God is saying, that's terrible. And we should not be like that. Amen? Chapter 3, verse 3. Here's a, a popular saying you've probably heard before. Now you know it comes from the book of Amos. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? What he is now saying to them is, I know that you're going to say back to me, you love me. You're going to say back to me all of these words that you think I want to hear. You're going to tell me how you come to the temple and all of these things. You do all of these religious things. But he's going to say, but we can't really be together because we're not walking together. You're talking one thing, but you're walking another thing. 
If we are really walking together, or if we're really together on what you're saying, we would be walking together. We would have agreed to do this together, but you're lying. And that's why he then says, who you're really walking with is the idols of these other nations. What you're really doing is you have sided with them. In your words, you're still saying you belong to me, but in your actions, you have gone with them. It's like my parents used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Another like saying is birds of like feathers flock together. You know, you are who you hang around. New Testament, bad company corrupts good character. He's calling them out saying it has influenced your heart. It has touched your heart. The next portion I want us to see is verse 7. It says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. How many have heard that before? That's another popular saying here from, from Amos. Now, we have to think as a culture, are we hearing from the Lord or are we hearing our own desires? Because in about 60 days, we're going to know who president is and there's going to be some prophets that are going to be wrong, okay? Here's my thing. I still love prophets. I love you even though I've been wrong. I was wrong today on what kingdom was in the north or the south, right? It can happen. But here's my whole point. I still believe God is speaking to prophets. I still believe God is speaking to them and we need to listen to them. And if some got it wrong, we need to understand how they got it wrong, what happened, was it that it was their desire or was it something we did wrong and messed up that word that God was supposed to give to us because it was conditional? I don't know, but I still want to keep hearing from prophets in these last days. But he's talking to them and they're not listening. Look at verse 8. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Once God has put it in the prophet's heart, these prophets have to speak it out even though there's many people who don't want to hear it. Then he talks about the enemy overrunning the land. Go to chapter 4, verse 1, for Jesus' uh, roast hour. How many are ready for Jesus to do some roasting? Here we go. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount, Sam, uh, on Mount uh, Samaria. You women who oppress the poor, crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us something to drink. <laughs> Come on, this sounds like the real housewives of Jersey Shore, doesn't it? You cows of Bashan, you cows of Jersey Shore, you cows of Orange County. This is crazy, I know. This is crazy. The Bible's talking like this. But that's what he's doing. He's now calling out the women. He's saying, you women, you're just sitting back drinking. You're not even paying attention to what's going on in your culture. You are just numb to the world. You look out for your own pleasure, and you just say to your husbands, bring me home some more wine. Starts rebuking them and treating them. He gives them all of these examples. Then then go down to verse 8. Well, even before this, go to verse 7. He says, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still there uh, three months away. I sent rain on one town but withheld it from another. So you were supposed to see all these unique things happening in the weather as a sign, you know, like fires over here, hurricanes over here. You were supposed to see like I'm in control of even weather. Come on, somebody. He said, then I, uh, verse 8, people staggered from town to town for water but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. He says, I'm doing all of these things. You're supposed to see uh, a shaking going on in even the natural world. Not to be superstitious and say one town is worse than the other, but you're supposed to look at natural calamity and say these are acts of God because God ultimately is in charge of weather. 
but you're not paying attention. You're supposed to see that you're drunk all the time, that you're high all the time, that you're ignoring the things of this life. You're supposed to see that as a warning, but you're not. You're supposed to see that, that your harvest is not like what it used to be, that you're thirsty all the time, but you're not seeing the warning signs. And then he goes on to tell them multiple times now in these next verses. Verse 9, I've sent the locusts to destroy the trees, yet you didn't return to me. He goes on down to verse 10, I've allowed some of your people to be captured, yet you have not returned to me. He then goes to verse 11, and he says, I've done this to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know the story. You know about this, and you know this is what you deserve, yet you still haven't returned to me. Multiple times, God starts to point out to them, you know what I've either done uh, in your generation or in past generations, and this should wake you up, but you're not getting woke up. This is part of the problem that you're numb. Then we go to chapter 5, and look at what happens here. Chapter 5, verse 2. He says, seek me and live, but, or excuse me, look at verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel, seek me and live, do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. He literally tells them, don't go to these holy places to save you. Come to me. Don't go to the conference looking for the answer. Come to me. Don't go to the next church trying to get another feel-good message. Come to me, because those churches are going into judgment too. That's literally what he's saying there. And I'm not saying we're the only ones, but doesn't it feel like that today? It, it feels like oftentimes that, that if we're not the only one, we're a remnant of the only ones, plural, right, by being gracious because we don't want to be rebuked by the Lord saying like how Elijah did. I'm the only one. God's like, no, there's thousands other, others out there. Just humble yourself a little bit, you know. But we do have to understand that there's a great majority that are being led away. And people are saying to themselves, well, if I can't go to Hillsong, then I'm going to go to this one. And if I can't go to this one, I'm going to go to this one. Because they all kind of dance the same dance. They all kind of dress the same way. They look the same way. They talk the same way. And God is saying, don't go to any of those places. Those places are not going to save you. They're going into exile as well. Seek me. Somebody say, seek the Lord. Amen. Look at verse 10. Now this is how they're treating the people of God. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. Have you ever felt that way? I know some of these things I want to come back to application, but man, I just got to stop and make it real right here. I mean, I feel like that today. I feel like I'm hated because I'm upholding justice. I feel like I'm hated because I'm telling the truth. It's not that anyone here, amen, by God's grace, it's not that anyone here wants to be hated I mean, we are self-aware. We hold normal nine-to-five jobs. We have wonderful families and great outside relationships. We are by no means here self-deceived, brainwashed, and some type of a cult. We understand, we understand the hour we're living in, and we're not falling for the, the malarkey, if I can say it like that. We're not falling for the stuff that falls out of animals on a farm. Are you guys listening to me? We're not falling for that, Amen. We're not. I'm not even going to say the initials, but you guys can get some of the initials. Just think of what a bull does. We're not following. We're not falling for it, are we? 
It, because it is what it is. That word to me is not even a curse word, but I'm just going to walk there just a little bit because the prophet's walking on some fine line today, you know, walking on toes and walking the fine line of what is obscene and profane and what is waking somebody up. So just follow me with farmer talk for a little bit. Farmer talk. Somebody say farmer talk. My, my grandpa was on the farm. I, you know, I, I visit all the time. When the cow would use the bathroom, you know what comes out, right? Now imagine you're talking to somebody and they talk crazy and you go, that's just a bunch of... Are you listening? Does that not make the point? You're, you're out there at somebody's house and they're talking crazy and your animal's right there in the front fertilizing the grass and you go, what you just said is a bunch of... That's what it is. What you, what you, what you just said is that right there. And that's what's happening in this culture. And we're sitting here going, I'm not falling for that. I'm not falling for that. That is not what I believe. That is not what I speak. That is not what I know is true. I don't care how you paint it up, what you call it. I'm not saying anything other than the truth, even if you hate me. Amen? And I feel like that's what we're dealing with today. And, and, the, and the world wants that stuff. We'll just call it stuff. They want that wicked stuff, amen? How about this? They want that bull stuff. Now I can say, we'll say the new BS is bull stuff. They want that, they want it, amen? But we don't want that bull stuff. We don't want it. We want the pure, undefiled word of God. We want Jesus. We want his presence. We want holiness. We want righteousness. We want purity, Amen. And we do want justice. We do. We want there to be equality. We want there to be fairness. We want there, that to be for every culture, every people group, for the unborn, for the immigrant, for the stranger in the land. We want it for the wealthy and for the poor. Amen. And we'll keep speaking that truth. But they don't want to hear it, and they get upset with us, but we can't stop. Look at it in verse 14. Here comes the, uh, what I believe is the heart of the message right at the middle of the book here, verse 14. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. See, you say that he is, but he's really not. But if you seek good and not evil, you will have God with you. Hate evil and love good. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Praise God for hope in the midst of judgment. I can't speak for what our nation is going to do this upcoming week and who they're going to say is president. I can't speak for what's going to happen in our schools I can't speak for what's going to happen on our jobs and the kind of rights that we're going to have in the next coming months and years, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek good and not evil. I'm going to hate that which is evil. I'm going to love to that which is good. I'm going to cling to Jesus in these times, and I'm going to call out for mercy on the land. Amen? And I pray that you join with me. Let me get through this quickly, and I, and I can get some more applications. Here Jesus now says to them in chapter 5, verse 21, he just makes it plain now, I hate, because he just talked about, you need to hate some stuff. Now he's going to tell them what I hate. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I hate your Christmas. I hate your Easter. I hate everything that you're doing in my name because it's not for me anymore. Come on, somebody. You're giving everybody gifts except Jesus, and it's supposed to be his birthday. 
It's resurrection, but you got Easter egg hunts in the front church parking lot. What is going on? Amen? Come on, somebody. It's tight, but it's right. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Go back to the farm and think of what a stench is. Your assemblies are a stench to me. I'm not with them anymore. Even though you bring me the burnt offering, all of these things, I will not accept them. And that's where we got to be honest with some people. God's not accepting this at, at a certain time. And at, I believe there was time of grace upon a lot of what we were doing, but I feel there's a judgment coming to these things right now. That's why just between you and I, this is between you and I, this is not a word you have to receive. Somebody say, this is on pastor. I cannot, between God and I, host, promote, or speak at a conference that isn't free anymore. I cannot. Because I believe that time has come and gone. There might have been a time we needed to pay the bills to have that done. And churches were just being wise. But it has been so used and abused. And these pimps behind the pulpits have taken so much from God's people that I won't do it anymore. I refuse to do it. I refuse to do it. And so I say to every pastor, every godly person out there, do the same. And let's put those things out of business and get it back into the church where it's supposed to be free for God's people. Amen? The same people that paid the tithes and offerings on Sunday should be able to come back on Monday to that conference. Amen? And if, all, and, and if they don't know how to do it, we'll help them how to do it. Well, we, how do we know how many seats we're going to have? Well, you can use the same apps and put the ticket at zero. They can sign up. They can register. You can know who's coming, and you put the price at zero. We did that for Jesus Matters. You can do the same thing when it comes to, like, how we get the speakers. You can take your budget, and you can give it out of your own budget. Every church should have a little bit of extra to do that. And if the, the people aren't able to do it, then you can raise it together. And if people don't want to raise it for so-and-so to come, then so-and-so doesn't come. So this year, we want to have so-and-so come. They live in California. Got to give them a plane ticket, hotel, take care of their needs, and we want to bless them with an, a love offering. Let's do $5,000. If we can't do it, we can't do it. And we just get out of the mentality that it's going to be charged when that day comes. In our church budget, we could always do one to three percent. Two to three hundred thousand dollars is what we bring in every year. This year's going to be over three hundred thousand. One to three percent we have for outreaches and events like that. What is that? One to three percent of three hundred thousand. Three thousand, four thousand, something like thirty. No, thirty thousand would be a tithe. A one percent would be around three thousand, right? Yes. Three thousand is one percent of three hundred thousand, right? Okay, so 1% to 3%, and then 3% would be 9,000. Thank you. So between 3,000 to 9,000, our church has on budget to spend on those things. And, and once again, we don't even use it for that most of the time. We use it for food giveaways and grocery drives and all of those other things, amen? And then we invite the whole community. Jesus said, how are you inviting a, uh, to have a party, but you're not inviting the poor, the lame, and the, and the crippled? He said, you're just inviting your own friends. The world does that. We're not supposed to be like the world, only inviting those who can pay us when they come in. We're supposed to go to the highways and byways and bring everybody in. Amen? And not look for those who pay us back. What do I get out of doing this for you? This is what happens when I try to go through a book of the Bible. Amen? We're going to hit on everything today. Praise God. Praise God. Look at this. I can relate to this because I'm done uh, with a lot of Christian worship and gospel today. Look at chapter 5, verse 23. Away with the noise of your songs. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Because it's just a thing that we do now to do it. 
We're worshiping worship. We're worshiping the entertainers. We're worshiping the feeling that it gives us instead of worshiping the God that it's about. And then now they're copywriting the songs. If you don't have the copyright or you don't pay the software, you can't sing their songs. You can't print them out. I mean, this is the world that we're living in now. When all of the hymns were written mostly by people who had little to nothing, but they were singing them from the depths of their hearts. And now we have all of these songs. And don't get me wrong, I do, do like a lot of what we're producing and talent-wise, but it's so disappointing when we see it's just shallow. And we have to be careful that we don't receive that rebuke. Amen. Now chapter 6, verse 1. Quickly, I'll go through this quickly. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. What bothers me here is that I have seen people become complacent in the middle of all of this. I mean, you know the applications. I'm going to get there, but I think most of us can already see the applications. I've touched on it quite a bit already. And what are we seeing by and large? We're seeing complacency. We are not seeing people doing the prayers and the fastings. We're not seeing people doing the outreaches and the, the servanthood. Yeah, there's that little mass giveaway they'll do every now and then the grocery drive, but I'm talking about the outdoor tent meetings or the outdoor, you know, door-to-door, really telling the people there's hope in Jesus. We've become like paralyzed now. We've become paralyzed. When at one time, we were once the innovators of technology. Who invented the printing press? A Christian to print Bibles, right? Who are the ones who really invented the scientific method? Christians to be able to further Christendom. Who are the ones that were the discoverers of the new lands and the explorers? Christians, right? I'm not saying they always did it right, but it was Christians. Who developed a nation based on a republic that could be free? Christians, who are the ones that developed universities to gather together the knowledge of the world so that there could be unity in the diverse understandings of, of what we would call the humanitarian knowledge and the liberal sciences? Christians. And now we're sitting here following the world, following them, letting them set the pace, letting, letting Mark Zuckerberg tell us what is acceptable on Facebook and what is not acceptable. We have to stand up and be creative again in the things of God. I thank God we're using technology to be online, but let's be creative to be on the front lines. Let's bring out the gospel trucks. Let's go to our outdoor meetings. The restaurants are doing it. They're putting up large, out, they're putting up large tents so that people can go inside, outside. <laughs> let's do that in the church, amen, instead of just stop meeting, you know. I mean, let's get creative. I know here it gets cold, but let's do things, Let's get out to where the people are and remind them Jesus is still the answer instead of being complacent. I'm not going to make excuses, amen? Because it would be real easy right now to make excuses, but we're not going to do it. Going to chapter 7. Here it is. Somebody say, make it plain. Chapter 7, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest. Somebody say, the priest. Thank you. The priest of Bethel, where God told him to stop going, the priest of Bethel sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. He's going to tell on Amos now. The priest is going to tell on the prophet. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. This is where we are right now. 
We had people from the churches around the city protesting with the wicked at Nini's Deli saying, shame on you, shame on you. And they were saying, my pastor would never do this. My worship leader would never do this. And we're like, that's right, because they're cowards and lukewarm. That's why Jesus would do this. We're going to tell on you. There were Christians, quote, unquote, in this neighborhood telling on us to the mayor when we opened up. We're telling the mayor on you. I go to a church, too. I'm a Christian. Telling on us, shaming us. And they're shaming the Christians to this day around the world. In China, there's a state-run church and there's an underground church. The state-run church says to the underground church, shame on you. Because you're not making it easy for us. See, we're getting along with the government. And you keep running around over here doing this and doing that. They're going to take away our rights now too. And the underground churches said they've already taken them away. You've just become their slave and have gone along with it. We're willing to die for this. We're not coming in alignment with the Chinese government. The same thing is happening right now in the Muslim nations. They're saying, we'll let you Christians live in our country just as long as you don't speak against our prophet. Just as long as you don't say that he's a pedophile when he married a six-year-old and consummated it with Aisha at nine. Just as long as you don't call out his false prophecies and the things that he said that were ridiculous, like the moon splitting or him visiting the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. He said he visited it around his lifetime in 700 AD. We don't call him out as a false prophet. And then the other lukewarm Christians come to those Christians and say, stop, stop this. We're living here in Egypt, we're living in Syria, we're living in Ethiopia, we're living in Sudan, and you're ruining it for us. And the Christians are saying we're willing to die for the truth. Is there any potency in a cure that has been watered down? No, it's you either take it the way the doctor made it or there's no potency. We're not here to water down the cure of Jesus Christ, amen? We're not here to make the cure palatable. Sometimes medicine may not feel good as it comes down, but it can heal you. It can change you. Maybe hearing the truth hurts some people at first, hurts their feelings, but God will use it to open up the heart and to change the mind and to heal the soul. Amen. Heal me, Jesus. Teach me, Jesus. Well, this person's tattletaling on Amos, and then Amos says back to this priest, I was neither a prophet. Oh, come on, somebody. Whew. Oh, Jesus. People were messing with the prophet, and the prophet said back, I was neither a prophet nor even the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of a sycamore tree, but the Lord took me. Somebody say, the Lord took me. The Lord took me from leading the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. I was a high school dropout, man. I was just happy to be saved delivering pizzas. But when I went to deliver a pizza, God gave me a word. And he spoke to me. He said, I have called you. Are you listening? And I believe there are so many here that are called. And you got to remind yourself of that today. You didn't ask for this. You didn't set yourself up to be contrarian to the culture. You're not here trying to impress anybody. You were just a clerk. 
You were just a, a nurse, a police officer. You were just a teacher. You were just a salesperson. And God took you up and put his word in you. And you can't let that hide now. You can't hide that under a bushel, amen. You have to let it out like Jeremiah said. It's like fire shot up in your bones. You have to say something. Even if the priest of that day gets upset, even if the king gets upset, you've got to speak the word of the Lord, amen. And then I love, I love what God says. God has a say in it. Amos said, hey. I didn't ask for any of this. I was just out taking care of sheep and some sycamore trees. Now you go back and tell the king this. I hear what you're saying, the Lord says. Do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against them. God says, I hear you saying that, but this is what I've got to say. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will die by the sword. Your wife is about ready to start tricking Come on, somebody. Your wife about ready to start tricking. Your family's going to fall apart, and your kids are going to die. That's what's going to happen. And have we not seen that in our streets? I may not have much time for application, but I hope you're getting something out of this today by God's grace. Have we not seen the wives leaving their husbands and the children handed over to death in the streets? Is that not what is happening right now? Suicide, drugs, gangs. The cows of Bashan have turned their hearts from their husbands because their husbands have turned their hearts from God. This is the curse on the land. The broken marriages and the children handed over to violence. The good news. Somebody say the good news. In Amos chapter 9, verse 4, God says, even though you're not going to repent, I'm going to drive you into exile. I will keep my eye on you, and I will not let them harm you but it will turn for your good. And that's why God kept his eye on Daniel and his three friends, that ultimately it was going to work for their good. He said, yeah, I'm going to destroy the sinners from the land, though. Look at this. Look at verse 10. He says, all the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake us. It's going to come on them, yeah, but I'm going to spare the righteous and I'm going to keep my eye on you. And then here comes, just like the prophets, here comes the good news right at the end. Vinny, would you come, please? In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. I will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of, of Edom and that the nations, all the nations that bear my name will come there. I will do these things, the Lord says. Continuing on to verse 13, when the reaper will overtake, be overtaken by the plowman, the planter by the one treading the grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills, amen. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Only part of that was fulfilled when they came back after the second exile. First one was with the northern tribes to Assyria, the, the ten that we talked about at the beginning. The second one was the southern tribes, the two tribes going to Babylon. And then they came back with Ezra and Nehemiah. But all that we just read, all of it, did not happen there. 
So that's why we still pray for Israel to come back to the land. And we see it as a sign of God that they're there now. And we believe from this time forward they'll never be driven from that land. Amen? And so we are engrafted in with them. And we are going to see the blessing come upon them and come upon the church. In summary, with the few moments that I have left, we need to wake up to what's going on in this generation. Hate evil and love that which is good. There's a lot that was said today, and I wish I had more time, but I think there was enough to get into our hearts and our spirits that we have a part to play in this. Some of the things that I just wanted to mention, band and altar workers, would you come please, that I wanted to mention is that no matter what happens with the presidency, we still have to believe God for the best for this nation. Amen? That doesn't mean that we believe that it was right or it was best, but we cannot be discouraged to stop praying for our leaders and to stop praying for our jobs and our friends and our family because God can use us even in the midst of judgment. Number two, I believe that this will be a sign of judgment. If Biden remains as a president a month or two from now and all of the, all of the uh, appeals are done and it's just fact now, that's our president, we can expect, I want to speak this to you, we can expect things to go worse for the Christians because they will not favor us or look for us and they will take advantage of what they have in power to try to make laws against what we believe and stand for. And so you have to prepare your heart and your mind for what lies ahead. And then lastly, I believe, listen to me, that the greatest revival America has ever seen is going to come no matter who is president three or four months from now. I still believe revival is coming. I believe it. And I, I say it not from my own word, but from the words of the prophets and the prophet we just read here today. Because he said, if you don't go looking for me at Bethel, if you don't go looking for me over there, but you come directly to me, you come after my heart, you will find me. You will find me, Jesus said. If you answer me when I call, I will deliver you. I believe that during this season that we need to be at the forefront, the tip of the spear of the Christians who are are going to seek God. And when we invite our friends and family here, they may look around and say, this doesn't look anything like Bethel. This doesn't look anything like the places I've been before. But you're going to say, hold up and wait. The presence of the Lord is here. And that's what we're here for. That's what God is doing. It's not a building. It's not a band. It's not even a speaker. It's what God is doing in the midst of his people because we're calling out to him here. We're seeking him here. We're living righteous here. And God is coming to meet us here because he said he won't let it go to our harm. It will be for our good. And we may be in Babylon, but God is going to keep us. God is going to use us. And even if we get thrown into lion's den, he will shut the mouths of lions. And even if we get thrown into fiery furnaces, it will not touch us because our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he hasn't forsaken his people. And he won't forsake us. He will not forsake you. He will be with us even until the end of the ages.
ready to close out, come for prayer. We'll dismiss after this prayer, but I feel Jesus here. Don't leave out until you sought him and found him. Lord, we ask you to set us on fire to change a nation and a generation. Use us, Lord, as we love that which is good and hate which that is evil. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. Bless the Lord today, saints. God is with you. As we transition, feel free to worship with us or pray because I sense God in this place. Even unto the end of the ages, he is with you.